Let's open our Bibles and we will read from Revelation chapter 1 from verses 9 to 20. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on the scroll what you see, and sent it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among them the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like a wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like a sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like a sun, was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand to me on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands in this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. It's a really great privilege to be bringing God's Word to you this morning, and we'll be spending some time looking at the Scripture passage that was read for us earlier on, so it's Revelation chapter 1 and uh, verse 9 to 20. When we come to God's Word, we need God's help, and so why don't I lead us now in a prayer? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to give thanks for the great privilege it is this morning to be able to come together to be able to read your word in a language that we can understand, and uh, more than that, Father, to hear you speak to us. Father, we give thanks. Uh, we pray that you might feed us now through your word, and that your Holy Spirit might give us hearts and minds and wills to hear and respond to it. And we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So then, it is just possible that uh, some of you here may have seen the film there on the screen. Uh, in honour of Chinese New Year this weekend, uh, the romantic comedy Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, this film basically follows the story of a wealthy family from Singapore. Uh, the film starts, uh, if you've seen it, with uh, the family walking into the lobby of a five-star hotel in London. They are exhausted from their journey. They are uh, drenched from the pouring rain. Of course, it always rains in England. Uh, and they walk into the lobby and one of the hotel managers approaches them. And he's basically really rude. Uh, he basically asks them to leave. 
Uh, he says that they don't belong here. Um, he says that they have no space, that the uh, reservation that they have uh, is one that they can't use. And why don't they try and find accommodation somewhere else? And he suggests Chinatown. Uh, there was some discussion, and then the uh, lift doors in the hotel open, and the owner of the hotel comes out. And he basically greets them as long-lost friends. Uh, he announces that they are, in fact, the new owners of the whole hotel. Of course, leaving the poor hotel manager just gaping in astonishment, and probably about to lose his job. You see, the manager failed to recognize who they were. Uh, they were infinitely more glorious and infinitely more powerful than he had realized. Well, this morning, we are looking at the great vision of Jesus that the Apostle John recounts for us in Revelation chapter 1. And what I hope we will see this morning as that hotel manager ought to have realized, is that uh, Jesus is infinitely more powerful and infinitely more glorious um, than we may have realized. Uh, so uh, verse 9 of our reading tells us that this was a vision that was given to John while he was on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. Uh, this is what the island of Patmos looks like these days. It's basically a beautiful holiday destination. But it wasn't a beautiful holiday destination at the time of the Apostle John. It was basically a penal colony where the uh, enemies of Rome were sent off into exile. In John's case, as he says, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And these were indeed hard times for the Christian church. It was about 95 AD. The emperor Dom mission was on the throne. Uh, persecution had become uh, more and more widespread against the Christians as the years had advanced. Uh, Christians were being cowed into keeping quiet. Christian businesses were being boycotted. And uh, some of the Christians had even given their lives for their Christian faith. And it's in these circumstances that we read that the risen and ascended Lord Jesus appears to John, a vision we all need. So then, I wonder where we are coming from this morning. Uh, maybe you've had an encouraging week as a Christian, and that would be really great. I really pray that uh, all this encourages you to keep going. But maybe life has been quite discouraging for you recently. Uh, maybe life as a Christian for you has been hard recently. Maybe you felt marginalized at work, perhaps, uh, or in the classroom. Uh, maybe there's some specific suffering that you are going through at the moment, which you're finding is really testing you. Um, maybe you're actually someone who's here this morning and you aren't a Christian yet, and you're interested to find out more. Well, either way, what we all need is a bigger vision of Jesus. We need to see Jesus as he is now, and uh, that is uh, where this passage really helps us. We read that um, John was in the spirit, one Sunday, one Lord's Day, where he finds himself transported to a different realm where he has this direct encounter with Jesus Christ. He hears Jesus speak, he looks around, and then he sees Jesus, we're told, walking among these seven golden lampstands, which you'll see later on represent seven uh, churches in the Roman province of Asia. 
And really, my prayer this morning, very simply for each of us, is that we would see this vision of what Jesus is like now, and that would really help us to grow in confidence and trust uh, in the risen Lord Jesus in our lives. So then, with uh, these things in mind, let's see what we can learn about Jesus here. Uh, And we see that the first thing is that Jesus is the Lord of glory. So this is the first thing that John sees, and it's the first thing that we need to see as well, that Jesus is the Lord of glory. And so there in verse 12, uh, John turns around to see who is speaking to him, and he sees this uh, amazing vision of the risen and exalted Christ. I think uh, one thing that it's maybe helpful to say right up front is that I don't think we're meant to imagine this as a literal description of the physical Lord Jesus. So we aren't meant to think, for instance, of a literal Roman sword coming out of Jesus's uh, mouth. If you Google it uh, later on, you've seen that uh, some people have tried to draw portraits here uh, and they're usually fairly strange and fairly bizarre. But rather, all of this is given to us to help us to grasp certain truths about Jesus. It's not a literal picture of what Jesus is like, but it is a true picture of what Jesus is like, uh, if you can sort of discern the difference there. Uh, The majority of this imagery that we see from verse 12 to 16 is really from the Old Testament, uh, especially from the Old Testament books of Daniel and Ezekiel, where John sort of seeks to describe the indescribable if you like, uh, and describe the uh, vision of Jesus which he had. And so uh, let's look at some of the detail of it briefly. Uh, First of all, John says that he sees Jesus like a son of man. There in verse 13, this of course was one of Jesus' favourite ways of describing himself in the the Gospels. Uh, It originally comes from Daniel chapter 7. And so John is saying that Jesus is like a man, uh, he's like a a son of man, but he's more than that because he's also God, as we've already heard, uh, the one uh, who had authority over the nations. Then in verse 13, we see that Jesus is wearing a robe reaching down to his feet and a golden sash. Uh, these are the clothes of a king or a priest. His hair is white like wool or white like snow. This is from a description of God as the ancient of days and speaks to us of Jesus' dignity and Jesus' purity and Jesus' wisdom. His eyes are like blazing fire. Uh, This means that Jesus sees and he knows everything. Again, it's from a description of God in the Old Testament that nothing is hidden from Jesus. Uh, He sees accurately. He knows what is going on in each heart and each life and uh, especially... uh, relevant for us over the the coming weeks in each church. His feet are like bronze. That means that Jesus is powerful and he's able to crush his enemies and all that stand against him. In verse 15, it says that his voice is like the sound of rushing waters. This comes from a description of God. Again, it's Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 24, where God's voice is described as being like the roar of many waters. Have you ever been to a really big waterfall? Uh, I'm sure some of you here may have been to the Niagara Falls or maybe the uh, Victoria Falls in Africa. If you have, then you'll know that the sound of uh, roaring and uh, rushing and crashing water is really loud. Well, that's what Jesus' voice is like. It's true that Jesus speaks to us 
tenderly, but it's also true that Jesus speaks in a way that is loud and clear and that comes to us with real authority. And then in verse 16, we read that coming out of his mouth is a double-edged sword that speaks to us of God's word. Jesus' word penetrates people's hearts. Uh, Jesus' judgment is always fair because it is according to God's word, which is absolutely right and pure and true. And then lastly, we see that his face is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Uh, We know that we can't look at the sun um, because it hurts our eyes. Well, that's the picture of Jesus' face given to us here. It's so bright and so beautiful that John has to avert his eyes away um, from it. And so hopefully you can begin to see this uh, amazing picture of Jesus that uh, John is describing for us. This amazing picture of Jesus' glory that he um, sees. And we are being reminded that this is what Jesus is like now. I wonder how you think of Jesus in your mind's eye. Uh, I think for many of us, when we imagine Jesus, we often imagine him like he was on earth. And so we maybe picture him as that uh, little baby at Christmas time. Or we uh, picture him uh, walking the dusty roads of Palestine. Or we picture him perhaps as a great uh, preacher or a great healer. Uh, or when Jesus died for us on the cross. And of course, uh, there, isn't any, and there isn't anything wrong with any of those things. Uh, they're all found in Scripture. But yet we also need to see Jesus as he is now, the Lord of glory, the one who is pure and powerful, the one who is the coming judge, uh, the one who is the rightful Lord of all. For those of us here this morning who are Christians. It's very easy, isn't it, if you're anything like me, to allow Jesus' glory to be eclipsed in your life by other things which are going on. Maybe those are hard times that you're experiencing. For the original readers of Revelation, of course, it must have been very easy to think of uh, Rome as being glorious. Uh, The Roman emperor. Now, there was somebody who looked really impressive and really powerful and really glorious. Uh, Maybe for us, there can be all kinds of uh, other things. The glory of uh, being employed by a great university one day. Uh, The glory of working in some uh, cutting-edge tech company, perhaps. Uh, The glory of being great at sports. Or the glory of of being really popular online and having uh, loads and loads of people uh, um, like you and follow you. Uh, The glory that we often want for ourselves. But this reminds us that Jesus is the one who is all glorious. He is the one where real glory lies. If you're having a hard time as a Christian at the moment, remember where the real glory lies. The real glory lies with the risen and exalted exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Lift up your eyes to him. Allow this picture of the glory of Christ to really sustain you. It is worth being a Christian. It's worth keeping going. Why? Because Jesus is glorious. And then I think that for many of us here, there's maybe also a warning here about trying to domesticate Jesus, to sort of try and create Jesus in our mind's eye, in our own image. Um, I think this can often be a great temptation for lots of us that the Jesus that we believe in is actually uh, some sort of reflection of ourselves, Uh, We manage to maybe in our lives increasingly explain away the bits of Jesus that we find uncomfortable or difficult or unsettling. 
Uh, and so we end up with a Jesus who is actually remarkably like we are. He's remarkably like us. Uh, the Jesus that we believe in, well, he kind of believes what we believe. He approves of what we approve. He doesn't like what we don't like. And he rarely makes any significant demands of us. Uh, the only problem is, of course, it's not the real Jesus. Uh, it's one that we're making up for ourselves. But just notice how this passage uh, really won't let us do that. Because this passage calls us to see Jesus as he really is and really rubs our nose in it. And notice, in fact, that there are some very uncomfortable elements in this vision of Jesus. This vision of Jesus is actually slightly scary. Jesus' eyes see all. Nothing is hidden from their gaze. How does that make you feel this morning? And Jesus' word is a sharp sword. Uh, hearing Jesus might actually be something that is uncomfortable. And then John's response uh, there in verse uh, 17 is to fall at his feet as though dead. Uh, that doesn't sound particularly comfortable and comforting. And we'll see in a moment that there is actually lots to comfort us here. But this is saying that we need to engage with Jesus on his own terms as he is revealed to us in God's word. Uh, he is both the one who called little children to come to him, but he is also the one whose eyes are a blazing fire and um, whose word is like a sharp, double-edged sword. If you can't understand why John would fall down at Jesus' feet as though dead, it may be that you've uh, not yet quite understood <coughs> Jesus' glory. So then, uh, number one, we see that Jesus is the Lord of glory, but then we also see that Jesus is the Lord of life and death. Um, and this moves us on to verse uh, 17 and 18. So remember that uh, John is basically lying prostrate on the ground as though dead. Uh, and then Jesus does this amazing thing where he sort of reaches down and he places his right hand on him and says, do not be afraid uh, Jesus is the one who has amazing authority and amazing power, as we've just seen. But Jesus is also the one who has real tenderness, uh, the one who reaches down and uh, touches John and treats him really gently and says, do not be afraid. Why shouldn't John be afraid? Well, I think the uh, first reason is because of who Jesus is. So uh, notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. Again, uh, that was a well-known description of God from the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm the first and the last. I'm the one who knows the end from the beginning. I'm the one who rules over all things. I am the one who is in control. Your history and your destiny are under my command. Again, for the first recipients of this letter, it wasn't um, Caesar in Rome who was determining their fate ultimately, but the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. For us, it's not your boss. It's not your teacher. It's not your supervisor. It's not a funding board. Uh, it's not even your parents or our government who are ultimately determining your destiny, but ultimately Jesus Christ, the one who rules in heaven and then we see also that we are not to be afraid because of what Jesus has done. Uh, as Jesus goes on to say there in verse 18, I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. Jesus said, I was dead. 
I died for your sins on the cross. I gave myself as a sacrifice for you. But now look, I'm alive forever and ever. I didn't stay dead, but I rose again, and now I am alive. I am the living one. Again, what a wonderful reassurance for God's people. Uh, For the original readers of uh, Revelation, death uh, must have seemed like a very real possibility uh, when we come to the church. Uh, Pergamum, in a um, few weeks' time, we will see someone there called Antipas, who had already been put to death uh, for his faith in Christ and being a Christian. But what an encouragement this must have been uh, to the Christians. Jesus has defeated death. He was the one who was dead, but now he is alive forevermore. And of course, if Jesus has defeated death, he has defeated uh, everything else uh, up to the point of death uh, as well. Uh, and so we have nothing to fear. And then uh, all of this is really underlined by Jesus when he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Um, Jesus is the one who holds the keys. So one of the things I've really learned uh, since coming here to Eden is that um, Steve Wright uh, is the one with the keys. Um, Steve was doing the uh, notices a little bit earlier on, and Steve is basically the one with authority. Uh, If you want to get access to a room at Eden which is locked, Steve is your man every time. If you're a new member of staff, where do you get your keys from? Well, you get your keys from Steve. Uh, He has the authority over who goes in and who goes out because he holds the keys. Now, I realise that Steve is not a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Although he's a wonderful guy and very godly. But this is really exactly what uh, Jesus is saying here. Uh, Jesus is saying that he has the keys to death and Hades, uh, which was the place of the dead. Uh, Here's the one who has authority over death and hell. Uh, This means that Jesus has authority over when we die. Uh, Not a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from God's will. That's uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29. And it uh, means that Jesus also has authority over what happens and where we will go after we die. Our eternal destiny to either heaven or hell is in Jesus' hands. Therefore, it goes without saying, surely, that Jesus is an incredibly important person. If Jesus has the power to condemn and the power to save, uh, then who he is and how we respond to him is surely of the greatest importance. If you are investigating Christianity this morning, then we are incredibly glad that you are here. Uh, Maybe you've actually come along to church this morning as a result of the uh, events weeks which have been going on either at uh, Anglia uh, Ruskin University or at Kikyu over this last week. Uh, If so, then we are really, really pleased that you are here and uh, we really hope that you do feel at home amongst us. But this really does take us uh, right to the heart of Christianity and the Christian message and what Christians believe. You know, the Bible's teaching is that we are all facing death. Uh, Indeed, it even says that the wages of sin is death. Uh, God made us to know and love him, but yet we have all rebelled against God's loving rule, uh, which leaves us liable to death. This is the natural condition of us all. But yet the good news of the gospel is that through his own death and resurrection, Jesus has opened up for us a new and living way. It's opened up the way for us to know God, to be reconciled to him. Death is defeated and we can enter his presence uh, both now and forevermore. 
I think that's why John didn't need to be afraid here. And it's why if we are believing in Jesus this morning, uh, that we don't need to be afraid of sin and death either. Um, All of these things are uh, things that uh, we've really seen and experienced as a family recently with uh, Rachel's dad passing away. So uh, Rachel's dad had a major surgery for cancer about halfway through last year. And it actually looked like things were going um, really well. But uh, then in the autumn, uh, we realized they weren't. And uh, he began to go downhill very quickly and uh, passed away at the beginning of December. And as he really battled cancer in its late stages, um, we saw firsthand the difference that Jesus made to him. Uh, as he really wasn't afraid of death. He knew that Jesus held the keys and he knew uh, where he was going when he died uh, because he was trusting in Jesus. And so his main concern actually in death and in dying wasn't actually himself and what happened to him, but rather that the other people around him that he came into contact with should come to know Jesus for themselves. Uh, He actually wrote an epilogue, which is to be a read out at the end of his um, um, funeral service, uh, which contained um, these words. And he said, thank you so much for coming along today to share in thanksgiving to God for all his unfailing love towards me. But in this, a form of postscript to my life, I want to turn the focus away from me and onto you instead, and especially if you haven't yet become a true Christian. If you sense the risen Lord Jesus Christ speaking to your heart, please don't hold back. He'll help you to turn away from all you know to be wrong in your life. And in receiving him by his spirit, he'll give you a completely new start. So please reach out to him with an open heart and mind. And you'll find that he is already reaching out to you in love, forgiveness and reconciliation. And uh, then right at the end, he added. And finally, remember that if there's such a thing as a heavenly cafe, then it would be a great pleasure to meet you there and buy you your first bacon roll. (laughs) Now, I'm not really sure about the theology of that last bit, (laughs) but uh, the rest of what he uh, shares there, I am really sure about. Reach out with an open heart and mind, and you'll find that Jesus is already reaching out to you in love. So if you haven't ever done so before, why not reach out to the risen Lord Jesus and ask him to save you and uh, maybe take away your fear of death. Um, Number three, uh, we see that uh, Jesus is not only the Lord of glory and the Lord of life and death, but he's also Lord of the church. And uh, this brings us to the last couple of verses in the uh, uh, passage, and we see several um, important things here. The uh, first of them is that Jesus is with his people So we've already seen from back in verse uh, 13 that Jesus is among the lampstands. And this means that Jesus is in the midst of the church. And that might be hard to believe at times as we look around. Maybe even you can think of plenty of things about the church that aren't good. Uh, Maybe some of you have even experienced Christians to be um, unfriendly or maybe have experienced Christian leaders who fall And of course, we we do need to be honest about these things. But this reminds us that Jesus is still with his people. For some of us, there can maybe be a danger that we might reject the church a lot quicker than Jesus would. Uh, And we need to look out for that, at least 
five of the churches that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks had their failings and Jesus had a word of rebuke for them. But yet he didn't give up on them, uh, even if some were teetering right on the brink. And then we also see here that uh, Jesus speaks to his people. You see this in a number of places here. So back in verse 11, we see that uh, Jesus tells John to write down his message for the seven churches and then to send it to them. Um, You can see the uh, seven churches there on the screen. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. They're listed in the order. Basically, that a messenger would uh, visit them if he travelled from one to the other um, using the standard Roman road. And then this is really all fleshed out for us in verse 19, where Jesus tells John, uh, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So uh, Jesus tells John to write down what you have seen. Uh, Basically, I think this uh, great vision of Jesus uh, that he's just been witnessing. And then what is now, uh, which is the letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which we'll be looking at in the coming weeks. And then also what will take place later. Um, Jesus wants his people to understand God's plans. Uh, This present evil world will not go on forever and ever, but Christ will come again and will make all things new. God's plans and purposes are being worked out, and so God's people need to endure and will ultimately overcome. Uh, Eden Baptist Church, what an encouraging thing it is this morning that Jesus wants to speak to us. Will we uh, listen to what he has to say? And then we also see here that Jesus cares for his people. So in verse uh, 16, we see there that Jesus holds the seven stars in his hand. And then in verse 20, we see that these seven stars are identified for us as the angels of the seven churches. Uh, These angels have caused a reasonable reasonable amount of confusion over the years. Uh, The Greek word angelos can be translated messenger as well as angel, and so some sort of speculated that these angels might actually be church leaders or maybe even the uh, messengers who would take the letters to the different churches. However, uh, my own view is that it's probably best to take these stars as being literal angels. So angelos here means angel. Uh, It's not really to say that each church sort of has to have its own specific guardian angel or anything uh, like that, although I don't really have a particular problem uh, with that idea. But uh, rather, I think it's more saying that each church is represented in heaven. Uh, Each church is represented spiritually in heaven Uh, Down here on earth, the uh, church may look frail and weak. How reassuring it is to know that the church is represented in heaven, uh, where it really counts. Uh, This idea is actually very common in the book of Revelation. There are two realities. Um, There is what appears to be real down here on earth, and then there is what is really real uh, up in the heavenly realm, this uh, Vision of Jesus, of course, is part of what is really real. And God's people, therefore, must be very careful to make sure that they are trusting in what is really real um, rather than what only appears to be real uh, here on earth. Uh, The church on earth may look weak and small and persecuted and like it's pushed to the 
margins are completely overlooked, but yet it is represented in heaven. It is part of the kingdom of God, uh, what is really spiritually real. Uh, when we used to have a hamster on the rare occasions that my hamster would actually let me hold it, um, I would hold it in my hand. That was an expression of my care for it. And it's uh, exactly the same when Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's powerful and has authority over all things, holds his people in his hand. Um, he cares for us. It's a picture, Jesus holding us in his hand. It's a picture of Jesus' protection, uh, Jesus' love for us and security. And so what a massive encouragement this is for us if we, like John's first readers, are having a hard time for being a Christian. Uh, we may be undergoing a time of testing or discouragement. We may feel marginalized. We may be discouraged perhaps over this last week that nobody accepted our invitations uh, to any of the kick you talks. But yet we are held safe in the hands of Jesus Christ. Uh, and that is the safest and best place in the world. Uh, in John chapter 10 and verse 28, uh, Jesus says this about his people. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, one commentator, a guy called uh, Juan Sanchez, uh, who wrote the book uh, Seven Dangers Facing Your Church, uh, which is where I got some of the uh, material for this series. Uh, he says these words, uh, the dangers we face may be overwhelming, but we will overcome them by looking to the all-glorious risen Christ. He is with us. He cares for us. He protects us. He provides for us. He holds us in his right hand, from which nothing or no one can snatch us away. See, the genuine church may look like isolated lampstands. Some may look like they're even on the verge of going out. Uh, others may be flickering in the wind. Still others are burning brightly, but yet Jesus is the Lord of all of them. He is the Lord of the church. Uh, we may wonder uh, what the future will hold uh, for the church here in the UK. Uh, will there be persecution? Uh, what about the danger of compromise? Well, this assures us that Christ is with his church and he cares for it. Um, he is Lord over it. If we look back through church history, we can see how Christ has cared for his church over the last 2,000 years. It's true that the uh, light may go out in uh, some places. Uh, we can think about uh, parts of the Middle East, uh, hi historically, for instance, but it may burn more brightly in others. And we obviously uh, see that perhaps in parts of uh, Africa or Asia. Um, one example uh, might be the growth of the church in somewhere like Thailand. So in 1870, there were only five Christian churches in Thailand. Uh, in 1970, 100 years later, there were 305. In 2016, there were around 5,100 churches in Thailand. One of the things that has most led to the uh, acceleration and growth of the church in Thailand is, uh, has been the Thai people taking the gospel to other Thai people uh, rather than relying on outside missionaries. Uh, the church globally is in Jesus' hands and uh, he is caring for it. Here in Cambridge, uh, we have the privilege of being part of our own lampstand here at Eden, uh, or whatever other church uh, you've come from. Uh, hopefully shining bright where we are, as Christ is with us, 
and we listen to him uh, and he works um, through us. And so let's take these things to heart this morning. It is true that uh, if we are following Christ uh, where we are, then that will take patient endurance, exactly as it did for the Apostle John on Patmos, as it always will for God's people. Yet at the same time, let's make sure that we fix our eyes on that other spiritual reality and place our faith in the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. As one uh, other commentator has written, uh, Michael Wilcock, uh, in Patmos we suffer, in the spirit we reign. The practical result at which Revelation aims is to make us see the first in the light of the second. In Patmos we suffer, in the spirit we reign. The practical result at which Revelation aims is to make us see the first in the light of the second. That is true for us this morning. And may we be enabled to do that uh, in this coming week, to see our present circumstances, our present difficulties, and our present uh, sufferings, even in the light of who Jesus is now. And to have a big vision of him, the one who is the Lord of glory, the one who is the Lord of life and death, and the one who is the Lord of the church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for this uh, great vision of Jesus that we've been looking at this morning. Help us to encounter him in our lives, we we pray, by faith. Help us, even this week, Father, to uh, see and remember something of his glory. May we experience Jesus saying to us, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Now I am alive. Lord, we pray that we might be able to trust in him more this week and increasingly open our hearts to him. And we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.